0: Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the Son of God? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said unto my Lord, or Jehovah said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. Whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. And he said unto them, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing, love salutations in the marketplaces, the chief seats in the synagogues, the uppermost rooms at the face, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater condemnation. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. He's right here in the temple. And he beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said to them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she, of her want, did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio
1: Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a faithful teacher of the Word of God for more than 60 years. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me too. In this lesson, we finish up Mark chapter 12 in verse 35, and our Lord Jesus uses Scripture to question his enemies, and he puts them on the horns of a dilemma, both theologically and intellectually. He asks them, "How can the Messiah be both King David's Lord and yet be David's son? That is, how can the Messiah be both the root?" and the fruit of david at the same time so i ask do you know Well, then the lord gives a warning to the people to beware of men who desire to be great and then the lord next brings us a commendation he watched a poor widow in the temple treasury put in all the money she had to live on well this shows us two things first of all absolute devotion and sacrifice to the lord himself and secondly the unbearable yoke of bondage imposed by that religious system on their people. Mark chapter 12, verse 35. Here is Dr. Mitchell, and you're listening to The Unchanging Word, Bible broadcast.
0: Good day, friend. We continue our studies this morning in the book of Mark, and we're in chapter 12. We've been dealing with the enemies of our Savior, confronting our Lord, and of how he confounded them. Do you Remember, we had described and the elders in chapter 11 down into chapter 12. Then we had the Pharisees and the Herodians, this coalition of two parties that were in opposite directions, and yet they got together to try and trap the Savior. And then we had the flippant rationalists, that's what I call them, the Sadducees. Uh, they had no conception of spiritual truth, nor did they believe in the supernatural. And as Jesus said, they were ignorant of the scriptures and ignorant of the power of god of course you can't experience the power of god uh, without the word of god for faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god as you have in romans 10:17 and then we had the scribe who came along and he seemed to be a very earnest inquirer and you remember how uh, the lord said you're not very far from the kingdom That's as far as we went. And we're down out of verse 35 of chapter 12. And here we have the Lord's question and answer. Now remember what we have. We've had from the end of chapter 11 of Mark right through to verse 34 of chapter 12 where we've had these enemies of our Savior trying to confound him. And you remember they set the trap and the Lord caught them in their own trap. So we have it here, starting in at verse 35, and this ends the picture. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ is the Son of God? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said unto my Lord, or Jehovah said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. Whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Now this is a quotation from the 110th Psalm. And mark the question, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, by the Spirit of God, in the 110th Psalm, Jehovah said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David, therefore, himself calleth him Lord. And how come he, How comes that he is his son? See, David was the king over Israel, it was not over him. And yet, David said, Jehovah said unto my Lord. Who was he talking about? And you remember? Our Lord said, the scribes say that Christ is the Son of David. And if he's the Son of David, why did he call him Lord? They were absolutely confounded. No answer. And by the way, if I may quote from Matthew's version, from that time forward, no one durst ask him any more questions. He just shut the mouths of his enemies. You see, the trouble was, that these leaders didn't want the truth. Their minds were closed to truth. They had no heart for God. They were occupied with themselves and uh, their religious exercises were a heart that was far indeed from the Lord. As one reminds ourselves of what the prophet said, God quoting the prophet, or should I say, God speaking through the prophet, with their mouths they praised me but with their hearts, they're far from me. May the Lord deliver us from empty profession. What the Lord demands is reality. We see that now in the next few verses. And he said unto them, that is, he said to the people, beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing, love salutations in the marketplaces, the chief seats in the synagogues, The uppermost rooms at the face, they want to be in the place where they can be seen, which devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater condemnation. Now hear our Lord's warning. See, he, He silences them and then warns them against hypocrisy. What God wants is reality. This is always true. God will always meet the need of any heart that's real. You remember James says, draw nigh. God says, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. He always is ready to meet the need of any real heart. May the Lord, and I repeat this, may the Lord deliver us from empty profession, from hypocrisy, and the Lord warns us that greater is their condemnation because they've, uh, they're have they trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, but they're not fooling God. God knows their hearts. If I might remind you of the 139th Psalm, which says the Lord knows our thoughts are far off. He knows when we go out and he knows when we come in. And the psalmist says, if I were to take the wings of the morning and fly to the farthest ends of the earth, I'd find the Lord there waiting for me. Can't get away from him. I just trust, my friend, that, that your attitude to the Lord is real. And don't try and be great. Don't try and be wonderful. Just seek to please him. Be real in your attitude, your heart toward God. It's what God answers. Now, right following that, oh, we have an, an amazing little little picture of a widow who came with a little few coins to put into the treasury. Remember that? And here where he commands a widow, after reading this whole passage, chapter 12, of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees and so on, And now we come to something that really, really caught the heart of the Savior. I want you to mark this. He had nothing else but contempt for these other men. They were coming under the greater condemnation because they professed so much. And there was nothing real. Now he turns around and he sees something that nobody else saw. He saw the reality of worship, of thanksgiving, of praise in the heart of a little widow. Let me read it. And Jesus sat over against the treasury. He's right here in the temple. And he beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. By the way, this money was for the priests and for the work of the temple. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said to them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Wait a mark. My, what a joy it must have been to the Saviour after having faced up to the leaders of Israel, these leaders of our Lord's Day with all their great pomp and empty profession to turn around and, and see a little widow. I, In fact, I wonder if anybody else saw her. You see, the Pharisees and these folk, when they give their gifts, they, they made quite a show of it. So everybody knew that they were putting into the treasury. You could just see this little woman slipping along and, just dropped in her little pennies and went. kept on going. She didn't want to be seen by anybody. She just slipped it in. But there was reality there. It was a real sacrifice there. Is this not a lesson for us today? You see, the Lord knows not only what you give, but he knows how you give. The leaders could go out and and make big profession, and rob widows. But here is one of these little widows, real in her relationship to God, real in her worship of God. Oh, how the Lord, I repeat it, how the Lord loves reality. And Jesus saw her. I say again, I don't know if anybody else saw her, but Jesus saw her. I repeat it, he sees how people give. He sees why they give. He sees what they give. He knows your motive and giving. And in the midst of this whole chapter of opposition to Christ, the chapter ends with a very sweet note of the Lord commanding little widow. Real, I repeat it, real in her devotion. Real in her worship. Real in her giving. You see, the scribes and the elders... They manifested lack of faith, but she manifested real faith. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they were giving their money to the state. This was the issue with them. Her giving was a real sacrifice to God. The Sadducees manifested no sign of spiritual life or understanding, but here was a little poor widow who had a real spiritual ministry. He was a scribe who talked about love to God and to man. But she revealed her love to God and to man. You see, the people watched and saw how the leaders gave. To them there was no sacrifice, no sacrifice. Jesus saw the woman and her gift. She gave all she had. It was a gift of love. It was a gift of love. It's a gift of worship. It's a gift of faith. I just, I just pass that on to you today. You know, there are some people who are a little shy about doing many things because they feel they don't have very much, and uh, they claim their prayers don't avail, and uh, they're not very gifted, and they have not much of this world's goods. But I'll tell you, God sees reality in them. It's what God wants. He's not asking you to be great. As I've oftentimes said, he never rewards greatness. He rewards faithfulness. Even in the small thing. Even in the small thing. Makes no difference whether you have a great big place of prominence or or you're serving the Lord in some place where nobody sees you. But he sees you. He sees the sacrifice of love, he sees the reality of faith, and he enjoys the devotion of a dedicated heart. I just pray that you and I may be in that place where we'll be real in all that we are before God. After all, it's what God wants is reality. Now following that following that, you'll notice he goes right on. He still continues. I wish we didn't have these chapter divisions. And as he went out of the temple, he'd been watching them. You remember, he'd been watching them, casting their money in the treasury. And he was the one who saw the little woman and spoke this word about the reality, not only the reality of worship and the reality of faith, but the reality of sacrifice, which is a footage of devotion. She love, devotion loves to sacrifice for the one who is the object of your devotion. So we have it here. Now, chapter 13, we come to a prophetical chapter. And here we have the predictions of our Savior. Now, you remember there are certain chapters in the Gospels that, uh, where the Lord gives to us predictions concerning the future. He prophesies the future. And by the way, prophecy is just foretelling history. In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, you remember we have the great predictions of the king in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew. And then you have some of his predictions in Luke chapter 17, especially with respect uh, to the end time, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. You have this in Luke 17. And then you have it also, the Olivet Discourse, which you have in Matthew 24 and 25. You also have it in Luke chapter 21. Then you have it here, the predictions in chapter chapter 13. You see, in chapter 12, he had cursed the barren fig tree. He had cleansed the temple. He had confounded his enemies. He had warned his disciples. And he had commended the little widow woman for her giving. Now... He would reveal the future, and I do not intend. By the way, and I say it very frankly, I, it's not my intention to give all that pertains to prophecy as we go through chapter thirteen. I'm not giving you a series on prophecy. I'm just talking about the chapters that are before us. I may, I may suggest some passages to you for your for your reading, but I'm going to speak especially in chapter thirteen. Uh, what he says pertaining uh, to his return to the earth uh, concerning his message concerning the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. You remember in Matthew chapter 23 the last few verses from 37 on he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem how often I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her brood under her wings but ye would not. Behold, behold, I leave your house unto you desolate, for you shall not see me again, till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. According from Matthew 23, where he predicts the destruction of the temple and of where they would not see him again until they should say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. In fact, the Lord will not return until Israel calls for him. If you want to follow that through, I would suggest the book of Hosea, chapters 5 and 6, especially the end of chapter 5, where God says through the prophet, I will go and return to my place until they acknowledge their offense. In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly, say, come, let us return to the Lord, and so on. That's in chapter 6. So you have here in chapter 23 of Matthew... Uh, Old Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's heartbroken because the city has spurned him and he's going to leave the temple desolate. Now, in Luke chapter 19, in Luke chapter 19, which I shall not read, except to mention the fact, in Luke 19, you remember, he wept over Jerusalem because they were choosing a destroyer instead of a deliverer. Remember that the Lord wept three times. He wept at the graveside of Lazarus. He wept because his friend had died. He wasn't weeping because of Lazarus. He was weeping because of Mary and Martha. He was entering into their grief with them, for he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Remember that. So he wept with Mary and Martha. Then he wept over the city of Jerusalem, because it destroy, they were preferring a destroyer to a deliverer. The city, the temple, to be destroyed. The temple which was the house of his father. And the city which was called the city of God. Then he wept again in the garden of Gethsemane. And he wept there in agony. He was going to be made that terrible thing called sin for you and for me. As we have it mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, who in the days of his flesh was strong crying in tears unto him that was able to deliver him out of death. He was heard because of his piety. So you have these three times in our Savior's life when he wept. He wept with Mary and Martha in John 11. He wept over the city of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 19. And he wept in the garden. And by the way, there are three different words used for it. When you come to the one in the garden, this is agony, real agony of soul. He could say, he poured out his soul unto death. When he could say, now is my soul exceeding troubled, even unto death. Was strong crying, and tears unto him, who was able to save him, out of death. And he was heard because of his piety. You find that in Hebrews chapter five. Now, when we come in our next lesson, we're going to take up this question concerning the buildings, chapter thirteen. Uh, he pronounces, he pronounces judgment on the city and on the temple. And here in these first four verses, the question is raised by the disciples. What about these stones and these bellings? What is the sign when these shall be fulfilled? So I wish you might read chapter 13 of Mark. And if you want to read it in connection with Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Luke chapter 21, you get the full picture of what our Lord said concerning uh, the future. Remember, now... He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord from heaven. And he's going to give to us the future concerning Israel, concerning the nations, concerning the earth, concerning his return. There's no question about it when you get into it. So read it over and over again. And may the Lord wonderfully bless you today and make his face to shine upon you. Fall in love with the Savior today. Spend a little time and tell the Lord how much you love him. I'm sure he'd enjoy that. So would you. Maybe you'll have an experience with God you never had before. And may the Lord bless you for his name's sake.